0: Hello listeners, and welcome to Shattering Superstructure, a podcast that breaks through the majority opinion and mainstream culture. I'm your host, Alex Arabian, a journalist who explores the value of art for the sake of art. In these interviews, in which I'll have occasional co-hosts, there will be no scoops, no juicy bits, and no hidden agendas, just a safe space in which one can think as one wishes and say what one thinks. And on that note, let's get to the episode. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Shattering Superstructure. On this episode, we have the supremely talented Sev Ohanian, a fellow Armenian who's become one of the most successful and prolific producers of the past decade plus. From his days in high school and at USC to becoming one of the first Armenian Academy members with his producing partner and wife, Natalie Kasabian. To Creed 3, we speak about how he broke into the industry, obstacles and accolades as a producer, and his passion to constantly push himself to tell new stories in the medium of filmmaking. Without further ado, here's Sev Ohanian. Thanks again, listeners, and I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Are you are you in the Bay right now, Alex? Yeah,
0: I'm in, I'm in the Bay, yeah, San Mateo, more specifically. Cool. What about you?
1: I'm in a, I'm in L.A. uh Burbank, <laughs> more specifically.
0: Yeah, how's the start of your new year been?
1: Uh, it's been good. It's been hectic. Um, my wife and I are pregnant, so oh. it's their first, first baby. Um, Congratulations! That's thank awesome. You, man. Thank man, you. I... The baby's due May first, so okay. like very much been like you know, that's been every day. That's, that's fun. Um, and you know, we've been busy with work and stuff, but it's been good. How about yourself? Pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not too bad. Trying to run a bit more training for another half marathon. So. Well,
1: that's amazing. Sometimes,
0: <laughs> sometimes tough to balance. Uh, As I'm
1: eating potato chips.
0: Your first film, you're actually, you directed it too, was, uh, my big fat Armenian family, which also stars your sister. Yes. And- you know you made it on a one thousand dollar budget um but it was a hit you know in the within the Armenian community and beyond both at home and abroad um so you used all this money to to pay for your tuition at USC right
1: yeah yeah <sighs> that's, that's amazing it was a movie I made for around eight hundred dollars ninety percent of which was covering Taco Bell for my for my team uh <laughs> And somehow, some way, I had zero business plan, but that movie I screened at a local high school in Glendale. This is in Southern California. There's a large Armenian population. The movie's entirely yeah, Armenian. In and somehow people showed up, like thousands of people showed up. I don't know that many people, like at all, but they had heard about it from other people. And it was very like, you know, it's a niche market. They were hungry for something that was driven towards them. And it made money, like way more than I ever imagined. And you're right, I use that money to get, you know, to help pay for USC. But the, and this is so cheesy, so forgive me. But honestly, truly, truly, candidly speaking, I don't even believe myself saying this, but it's true. The money wasn't even the important part for me. Like the important part for me was that total strangers sat their butts on a chair for around 90 minutes and watched and engaged with something that I had thought of and laughed at the jokes and, uh, you know, cheered at the good moments and even like clapped when characters, you know, completed their arc. Um, That was priceless. Like the fact that something I had thought of and kind of like while I was in class and I should have been paying attention, I was writing story ideas on my notebook and got my friends and we went and shot it all summer and like spent a whole year editing it and by myself and never knew if anyone would ever see it. Like, the fact that complete strangers engage with something like that—it was game over for me. Like that's when I was empowered finally, as a son, as an immigrant myself, but a son of young immigrants who had no money, no no relationships, no connections. That was the moment I was like, I think I want to pursue this as a career. And you know, the way it even came together, you know, I grew up in America. My parents, you know, I, I made it here when I was only a few months old from Germany. My parents fled Iran as Armenian Americans. During the revolution then and i wanted something really important to me because i didn't quite know if my parents had that their whole lives which was stability and i've talked about this before but the idea that you know as, as an immigrant you you want that and that's kind of why so many of immigrant parents tell their kids to become lawyers and become doctors and it's really what they're craving um i didn't think i can ever get that with filmmaking i just i just I, I looked at it i looked at the numbers i'm like there's no way i can break in i don't think i believe in myself enough um So, I kind of like, I hate to call it settling, but in my mind, I was like, I love journalism. Like, I think it's just as fun. It's just as, it's actually oddly way more important than filmmaking. I got really passionate about that. I was in my high school newspaper. I ended up becoming the editor in chief of the high school newspaper wow. and um, intern at the LA Times. I've told the story before where like the news editor one summer, and again, this was like 2004, really got upset at me because I was a high school intern. And and the reason he was upset was because he had just discovered what an online blog was. And he was asking me, like, what is a blog? I was I explained to him and, you know, just write whatever you want. And he's like, who writes it? I said, anybody. And he was like, <laughs> how much does it cost to read? And I told him nothing. And I could see this whole man's career go flying in his eyes because, like, you know, he can maybe sense the end of print journalism as we knew it. And I realized that like chasing stability is wrong because you, there is no stability. Like there's nowhere, no career, no life path that can give you that, you know, solid ground that we all seek. And I think for me, it was like, okay, well then in that case, I'm going to just plunge into the deep end. I want to become a filmmaker. And for me, you know, at the time I was going to undergrad college at UC San Diego. And I was kind of like, I was studying communications, but I switched it to like visual arts. It was very like avant-garde, artsy. Um, It was nothing like, you know, what you would would you imagine as a film school would be. Um, But I I was I was also shooting little YouTube videos, kind of poking fun at my parents out of love. It was like my friend coming home and like, you know, pretending to be a dad and like yelling at his son. Where were you last night? Blah, blah, blah. All in Armenian. Like genuinely today, if I was if I was a college student today, they would be TikTok videos, you know, and maybe they might go viral or something. But at the time, it was my me using my dad's mini DB home video camera shooting these videos. And I uploaded them on YouTube literally for like my 12 friends to watch. But to my shock, those 12 friends shared it with their friends and so forth and so forth. And it kind of became a viral thing back, back in the day. It was like 2007, I think. And um, we made a couple of these shorts and they were all funny. They were all very sketchy type things, but there was always like a kernel of truth to them. Like one of them was kind of about how the sister there was this double standard with Armenian women sometimes in our community. How come they are being scrutinized for who they want to date, whereas the guy could do whatever he wants. So it was kind of like subtle commentary about that all while my, my male friend was wearing a wig, pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a guy. Like it was very like, you know, honestly very Tyler Perry. And um, when I wanted to make another short, I just had this thought of like, why don't I just make a whole movie? And if I had known at the time what I was getting into, I would have never thought to do it because it was nearly impossible, you know. I, I downloaded Final Draft. I got a free discount thanks to a website called Pirate Bay. Thank you. I've I have since paid for it. I swear. Um, I just I you know I downloaded a couple of PDFs of scripts I liked, and I kind of just like okay, I guess I can write this. And I just you know I I knew enough to be like okay, there's got to be a beginning, a middle, and end. At one point things have to get sad. At one point things get happy and plant some jokes and pay them off. And it was it was really fun and. I got my friends together. Um, the The crew of the movie was myself. I wrote it. I directed. I produced. I shot. I edited. The only job I didn't do was I didn't do makeup. But then the makeup artist quit. So then I ended up having to do that, too. It was a very <laughs> budget production. Um, all the wardrobe was supplied courtesy of Goodwill, which we all donated back. But, um, I mean, it was it was a mess. Like, honestly, it was like, you know, it was... First day of filming was 17 hours. It ended with cops pointing guns at us because we were making too much noise at night. It was, it was chaos. Holy crap. But at the end of it all, like the lesson that I learned, which was like, wow, like I could do this. And of course, the result of like, Oh, like I mentioned all these strangers watching it. And obviously the profit that was made that never I anticipated, it did all propel me to want to go to USC. And that's kind of where I went from my grad school, my master's Um, as much money as I made on the movie, I still was heavily in debt afterwards, which I think speaks more to how expensive SC is <laughs> versus how much money I could have made on a tiny movie. But, um, you know, you surround yourself
0: with uh, good people, I guess, who happen to be good artists too. Um, and that's, I think, like the best advice you, you, you've given me is like, just surround yourself with like-minded people and create and, uh, you know, don't focus on the you know, the how or the other when or like, I think this was specifically like getting an agent, you know, some people worry about that, um, that they have to have an agent to make stuff, which yes. I mean, Me too. <laughs> I think, as you know, isn't isn't true. You know, you can do it on your own. Yeah.
1: USC is where I was lucky enough to meet so many collaborators who I work with to this day. I mean, just to list off a couple of them. I met a guy named Ryan Kugler there. He was he was at the year above me, so he graduated before me. And when he uh, finished at USC, and he was this phenomenal uh, director and writer at USC, he made all these great short films that I remember just always being just incredible, like for a student film, especially. But let alone, he ended up asking me to come and produce and help produce his first movie, a film called Fruit Bell Station, shortly after um, after I graduated. And it was entirely based on like my reputation and what he had heard about me from others. Um, I met a guy named Anish Chaganti while I was at USC. I was, I was a TA and, and he was one of the students in my undergrad class. And he and I began writing together shortly after USC and, um, we've written a couple of scripts together and then, you know, he's a director. So things that we write together, I produce and he directs and that includes movies like Searching, Run, um, and something else we're about to make soon. And then I think the last most arguably most important person I've met at USC was a woman named Natalie Kasabian, who, uh. We became oh, right. friends. And 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 since Natalie and I, we, we started producing together, we made all these indie films. Like we worked with the Duplass brothers a couple of times. We started making, she she was a producer on Searching. She was a producer on Run, which, and then a movie we just released called Missing. She was a lead producer on as well. And more importantly, Natalie and I are married now. So it was all, it was all kind of thanks to that. So um, in addition to so many other collaborators we met, and and by the way, like, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm not even that big of a proponent of film school. Like I, I don't think it's necessary in any way to do what we do. It was a very expensive way for me to meet a couple of people who I've become lifelong friends and collaborators with. But by no means do I think you need to do that. I think there's a far easier or possibly far cheaper way to make those same connections and meaningful, you know, find those meaningful opportunities without having to go to a film school, especially one as expensive as USC. But yeah, I think you're right. Like those were the two pinnacles for me. It was making that film and what it taught me um, and what it empowered me to want to pursue. And also being in that space where I met those collaborators.
0: You know, it, it could be a Hollywood romance story uh, for the movies in and of itself. You meeting Natalie at, at USC. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh it's yeah. amazing. And I, yeah, I, Forgot, or I—I I don't think I knew that you met Anish at at USC as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know he's like you said a frequent collaborator. So, um, did he work in advertisement, or was he? Uh, what did he major in? And also, you know, to that point, um, I think the uh, sort of Google um what was it the google glass uh mm-hmm. opportunity uh um, yeah it's,
1: i'd love to hear about that totally it's it's honestly one of the most defining experiences i've had that to this day continue to like resonate so the story is anish was at usc as an undergrad student in the film school okay. Um, and i was there as a, as a graduate student in film school um when I graduated, I remember I had a class where I was a TA and Anish was really impressive to me. I thought he had a really good story sense and we really seemed to click like ideologically about our approach to life and family and culture. Um, when I when I finished USC, I, I was able to be a co-producer on Fruitvale Station, Ryan's first movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, re- we had a great run at Sundance. We won a bunch of awards. We had a great sale. And shortly after Anish reached out asking if I can have a drink with him. And we got together and he was kind of pitching me. He's like, I really want to write a script. And he's like, I have five ideas. I'd love to just know what you think is the best idea. He pitched me five ideas. Like number four was my favorite. And he was like, dude, that's actually my favorite too. And I was like, whoa, I'm like, maybe we should, you know, start working together. And somehow or another, after a few months, he and I were writing that script together. And it was a movie that we have never made and probably never will make. Uh, it was a ridiculous $200 million heist movie about a group of thieves stealing a gorilla from the LA Zoo to save its life. <laughs> anyway, we we definitely got into a good rhythm. And it was very clear that he and I, we, we just work really well together. Um, and we kept thinking we should write a smaller movie that we can make for like sub million dollars. Because at the time I was trying to produce a lot of like I was becoming like a junior producer. I was making like I was line producing basically. Like, you know, I was doing budgets and scheduling and kind of like the nitty-gritty work on these very tiny micro budget movies. Um and we were thinking of what to write. Then an opportunity came my way from USC, which is Google reached out to six film schools around the nation and gave them Google glasses. If you remember what these are, rest in peace. They were like these big funky glasses. There was a little camera, there was like a mini augmented reality thing. They were kind of awful, honestly, and they and they didn't last long. But what they wanted to really prove by giving the glasses to the film schools was that these were viable filmmaking devices, meaning that you could film a short film with the camera on this thing and it can be entertaining and it could work. Um, spoiler alert, they were awful. like they were not <laughs> at all viable. But I saw the opportunity here because I'm like, Oh, this is a pretty major brand. I've always had a slight itch for like innovative storytelling and things that are a little bit unconventional. And I was telling Anish I'm working on this and he was like, dude, I want in. And I was like, okay. Um, I pitched him as, as, you know, because the school was asking me to produce one of them because I was, you know, I was, I guess, a well known alumni, uh, alumnus or whatever uh, producer. I brought in a niche to produce. And I'm going to give you the full uncensored story because it's a little bit risky. Basically, there was already a script attached. They wanted, what they wanted these things to be for some reason was just tech demos. Like Google would have been happy if it was somebody walking on the beach, walking on the beach at night uh, in a nightclub. Uh, on a car, like just kind of just, there was no, there was no uh, mission to make a story or an ad or anything, but we were tasked with making a heavy metal music video. I think the idea was that it would be, you know, I guess like frenetic and like cool lights or something. Anish hated that idea. And I don't think he was wrong to hate it. I told him to come up with something else. Hmm. He came up with this brilliant idea for a short film called Seeds that we would shoot on the Google Glass and our we had a budget of like $2,000 and he was like, I think I can use this budget and, and do something crazy. So okay. we put together a deck and we took it to our, our advisor at the school and the guy asked it, he's like, this sucks. Um, it was a bummer because we were really into it. So we said, well, how about this? Let us shoot the music video and then we'll pay for it. And let us shoot this other idea. And for some reason, we were still told no. And there was this weird thing where like any of the communication with Google we were not privy to. Like we would we would get emails forwarded to us, but all the Google people's information would be scrubbed. So it was kind of like tough, you know, because you know, we just we could feel we were onto something good here, but there was like this bureaucratic thing in between us and and what our goal was. Um and we were we realized we have to make this heavy metal music video that no one kind of wanted to make. And Anish and I, we were watching a lot of House of Cards <laughs> that summer. You remember that show? I do. And it was all about people doing like, you know, Mach- Machiavellian, like maneuvering and stuff and manipulation. Right. We realized that the only reason we wouldn't make the heavy, mes- heavy metal music videos is if the band dropped out. And the band, by the way, was like a tiny, 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 tiny band. Obviously, like a local, like, you know, LA thing. <laughs> they weren't even that enthused about it. <laughs> Basically, I would call the manager saying, hey, we're going to do this music video. It's going to be really hot. Uh, they're like, okay. I'm like, uh, we, we don't have any coolers. And he was like, oh, okay, really? I was like, yeah. And, and we need them to be all wearing fur coats. And and then like, I would call him back later and like, Hey, we're not gonna have any food. I would call him back later saying, Hey, can the band help us like, you know, <laughs> move all the lighting equipment or whatever. I just kept asking those questions. And eventually the band, for some reason dropped out of this commercial. And we were like, no, when we told USC, we're like, guys, this, this horrible thing happened, but Hey, good news. We have this other idea. We have seeds. And the advisor was like no we don't like that idea and i was like just let us make seeds until we find another band and what we had for seeds and the idea was we were going to spend the two thousand dollars on a round trip flight from san francisco to india Hmm. and that was it that was the entire budget and you know we would anything we were missing we would just add with points but the idea is we would track a man flying all the way from his home with his wife in in san francisco to india and then traveling through the streets of, of India, and going on boats and skiffs and trains, and all to arrive at a destination, which is his mom's humble house in the middle of the outskirts of some Indian, you know, city. And he would give her a package, and and you know, like to, to spoil it, the packages. It was an ultrasound that he is that him and his wife were expecting, and that the mom is about to be a grandma, grandmother. That was the idea. It was brilliant from Anish, and. Our idea was to make it all non, like no dialogue. Like we just wanted it to be universal that anybody from any culture, any creed could watch us and, and get it. But we were told because it's a tech demo, there has to be sync dialogue. And we were like, dang, that's such a bummer. And we couldn't win that argument. So this craziest thing happened. A niche landed in India. There was only enough money for one person to fly. So obviously that was a niche. And he sent me an email saying, bro, I got bad news. The microphone on the, on the camera broke. I was like, oh no. Like, is there a Radio Shack you can go to? And he was like, no, man, it's India. There's nothing. I was like, dang. So I forwarded the email saying, guys, bad news. Like, there's no more sound. Like, we have to record this without sound. And like, the advisor was like, damn, that sucks. You know, maybe we'll fix it in post. So, you know, obviously, if you're in between the lines, we were trying to be, you know, our version of Kevin Spacey from House of Cards. We were being incredibly asshole, douchebag liars. But, you know, we were doing it for the art. Yeah. So, and he shot this stuff and then, we edited it into something that I thought was brilliant. Like it was like a three minute, Everyone who watches it would all, immediately get emotional. But for some reason, the advisor didn't like it. He was like, I think it's cheesy. And we realized that, holy crap, Mother's Day is like two weeks away. If we can somehow get this to Google, they can release this on Mother's Day and it can kind of become a big deal. But the problem was, again, we were never connected to Google. So Google did not even know we were doing anything. And we kept asking the advisor, he wouldn't let it wouldn't let us put us in touch. And we realized we had to, you know, rely on the internet. So we went on Facebook, and we looked at all of our friends. And we look, you could do like a search advanced search to see who our friends, who each of our friends works at Google. We found a girl that was actually in our class. I mean, I won't. I won't say her name. But there was a girl in our class who was dating a guy who worked at Google. And it was amazing. So we hit her up, we're like, hey, And you know, this mother's day was now like in a week and a half. We're like, Hey, uh, we'd love to take you out to dinner on Friday night. And she was like, I have a boyfriend. And we were like, Oh, we know, like bring him too. I don't know how she agreed to it, but we took her to dinner with her boyfriend (laughs) at dinner. Anish pulled out his iPhone. I pulled out my headphone. We gave the dude the headphone and the iPhone. We asked him to watch the video. And immediately he started crying. He's like, this is phenomenal. He's like, do you guys mind if I show my boss on Friday? I'm on Monday. It was Friday night. And we said, well, at this point, you know, Mother's Day was that upcoming Thursday. We were like, can you show your boss tomorrow on Saturday? He ended up showing his boss. Um, Boss loved it. Next thing you know, Google is flying out from New York to meet us. And they're saying, this is phenomenal. Who are you guys? When did you guys make this? Again, the task was, can we show a tech demo? But we ended up making something that was, you know, like an emotional advertisement, very similar to everything Google had been doing at the time. And very quickly, they're like, we're going to release this on Mother's Day. Uh, they offered a niche, a job to go work in New York city, directing commercials for Google. It's kind of called like the Google five. Like they bring five people from different, you know, um, academic backgrounds to like essentially develop their commercials. I right. ended up on Bloomberg TV news, like talking about this. I was on a list of Hollywood's top innovators next to Angelina Jolie. Like it right. was crazy. that was in
0: 2014, right? 2014.
1: This is all yeah. when it's happening. The worst part is we got a call <laughs> the night before the release from the advisor at USC, who was furious. Well, you guys went behind our backs. You went and talked to Google. This is uncalled for, this is this is horrible. And like, I remember initially we were kind of nervous, but then we were like, wait a minute, we've graduated. Like, it's not like they're going to kick us out. And then of course the video comes out, it blows up. It gets really viral and brings all this honor to USC and all this like amazing good press. And of course the Dean loves the video. They start screening the video at USC every year. And of course, the advisor looks really good now because that was the person that was in charge of this program. So the advisor loves us. But because of the situation, I now had my writing partner who was directing commercials in New York City, and I was still producing all my little indies around the country. And we were like, we got to find something to write a movie that you can direct the niche that I can produce. And it all kind of led us to Searching, which was the first movie niche directed, the first movie that we wrote together. And that was my first time kind of like as a quote unquote lead producer, Um, And and genuinely, the reason we got that meeting was because of that commercial that we made.
0: Whoa, Um, I mean, that's, that's um, so amazing that. And also, it's kind of a a testament to how, how many different lives like a a project can have, you know, script changes, um, just curveballs right and left, right? I mean, I bet that kind of prepared you as a producer for future like projects um, and negotiations just in general, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like you know anish uh, and and Natalie and I, we just, you know, we made searching together, made run together. we just released missing together. And every one of those projects, there's moments where something is getting in the way of, like the heart of the project. Like some arbitrary rule, sometimes bureaucratic, sometimes political is preventing like the good art from being made. And once you have enough clout, power or money, it's easy to overcome those obstacles. You can throw money at the problem, or you could like, you know, slam your fist on the table and be like, I won't stand for this or whatever. We've never had any of those things. I think we have been, and, and to this day, I still feel like we're very much underdogs. So it kind of always feels like we're still those kind of scared, you know, recent student graduates who are trying to figure out how can we Find a way to keep alive the heart of this project because it it would be it would have been so easy for us to just be like okay we'll make the music we'll make the music video or like okay we'll shoot dialogue or okay we won't we won't send this to Google but as 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 much as I'm honestly a little bit ashamed of how deceptive we had to be which I try not to do ever it was retrospectively like the right thing to do because it was kind of the only tool we had. And again, I'm just happy that the advisor looked amazing to his boss, because it was like, you you shepherded this project, and I'm sure he took all the credit, which that's fine with me. But yeah, I think that was an amazing, it was an amazing microcosm of like, what a producer, a good creative producer can do, because you have to protect your director's vision, you also have to challenge that director's vision, you also have to challenge the studio that's trying to challenge you. And like, you know, obviously, you don't win every single fight. And not to say that you're always right, you know, Anish and I could have been wrong, maybe maybe we should have made the heavy metal music video for all we know. I think obviously in this particular case, it's easy to look back and be like, yep, we did the right thing, but that's half the battle too. Like, is this worth fighting? And, you know, I, I always think about producing. Someone taught me this really recently, which is like producing is like having a bag of nickels. And every time you fight for something, you're expending a nickel and you got to be conservative because if you lose too many of your nickels, you're the guy who's fighting for everything. And now your fights have less meaning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's funny. Like, I don't think I've ever told this full story ever before. So this is definitely you know, Alex, Alex and Rob being exclusive.
0: Awesome. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely about about choosing your battles and and um, you know as as an artist, like sometimes you want to really fight for for your for your art, and sometimes you know you just gotta take it with a grain of salt. And it, it's hard. Yeah, I, I bet you know, especially just with the amount of, of like you guys call yourself the, the underdogs, I bet it's just, um, you know, magnified and we always have to, to keep adapting to and let, and learn, you know, you never perfect that, that, that balance of, okay, did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? But it seems like you've made most, (laughs) most of the right calls, Like you said, looking back so, I mean, it's, it's, and, and you and your wife are also, I think one of the latest members of the Academy, right? Um, yeah. You have to be some of
1: the first Armenians, right? Uh, to, wow. to, to be in there, I would assume. Man, that's, uh, it's funny. I think I meant to look that up and things got so hectic this last year. I don't know if I have. I could I'll be honest it. with you, Alex. I, I, I was a little bit conflicted about joining the Academy when we got that. Surprising news. I mean, you know, we never applied for it. And to this day, now, so yeah, now Alexabi like, and I became members of the Academy this year or last year. And we we don't know who nominated us to this day. Um, I, I don't know if it's usually secretive, but when we asked, we were just told you guys have a lot of fans, like don't worry about it. But there was a part of me that was a little bit conflicted because, you know, I don't know what it means to be a member. Um, it's not a responsibility that I want to take lightly. And I just talked to a lot of people, I just didn't want to make that choice, you know, superficially, I wanted to mean something to mean something. And when I talked to a lot of people, the most universal, ubiquitous, like resounding answer, we always heard back was, you guys have to do this because you have to be the voice of Armenians, you have to be the voice of immigrants, you have to be the voice of the other that, you know, more and more the academy is opening its doors to, but hasn't always historically been there for 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 people like us. Right. So I think with that, we, we had no choice, but to do it. Um, yeah, it's funny, man. When I look back, like, you know, Natalie and I are, I don't know for the only ever husband wife, but we've both received the Sundance producer of the year award. Like, obviously we got those lists. Like it's so easy to look back and be like, dang, like we're so successful and we're so lucky yeah. and all this stuff. But in the moment, man, like, I don't know how much any of that stuff means. Like every day is still a gruel- <laughs> is a gruel, <laughs> like every day, yeah. like nothing is easy. Like there's far more losses than victories. Um, I don't mean to sound too dejected and tired, but it's tough, man. Like it genuinely like this, this industry, it's really demanding. And, you know, I think I'll I'll give an example. Like, you know, we just released a movie called Missing, which is a sequel to our movie Searching. It's a movie we probably never thought we'd make, you know, Searching was a movie we made for $880,000. It won Sundance and we released it theatrically, it made 75 million dollars, which is nuts. Like it made 75 times its budget. Yeah. That- um and with and you know, we've even felt like even with searching it, it wasn't even quite marketed to its full potential. It still felt like a lot of people had never even heard of it and it kind of made that money in spite of whatever. We just, you know, we just did the unthinkable in our minds, which is released missing, which you know is is a very different movie intentionally. It doesn't go for the same uh, emotional heights of searching, but it's kind of doing its own thing. And the response has been so positive, man. Critics seem to really dig it. Audiences seem to yeah. love it. Um, we've we've like snuck into theaters where people are like losing their minds, screaming at the screen, clapping, cheering. Like it's awesome. But it still feels like, dang, like once again, it's like has enough. Have like is there enough awareness of this movie? Like it's kind of getting lost in the sauce. Like we ask, should there have been a second trailer? Or should it, you know, there's not a single billboard made for this movie. There's no there's no posters on the streets. And those are things that are not up to us and it's like we just spent three years really killing ourselves to make this movie as best as we can but at the end of the day like there's only so much you as a filmmaker have access to so you know those are you know to me that always balances out all the victories we talk about we're like oh you're on this list and you got this award of course it's phenomenal but um you know I think what keeps us humble is the fact that again like for every every, for every win there's like seven losses
0: (laughs) right right and to the point of you know choosing your battles like how have you learned to 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 take rejection because if, you know like you said it's more
1: it's more rejection than the, uh, or losses than victories right yeah man rejection i mean luckily luckily um i am a very familiar person with rejection like yeah. I'll, I'll just give the example of me and anisha's writers um you know that first script that we wrote animal heist that that was the, the, the zoo heist movie over the top one I think it's a really good script. You know, we we won a few, like we placed, you know, fairly high in a couple of screenplay competitions, and we were desperate. But we, I was convinced that if we had an agent, we would we would kill, like we would rule. Right. All we needed was one agent to believe in us. At the time, I was so naive. I didn't really know what the agent was supposed to do, but in my mind, it was like, okay, that's the end goal: get an agent, Mm. Alex. We. Sent that script to everybody, man. Every agent I ever once even had a brief interaction with would send it to them. And agents that I had good interactions with, I was it to them. I was sent to people who were rep by agents. I was sent to lawyers who knew agents. We genuinely, I mean, we had a spreadsheet. It was probably like close to 60 people we submitted this thing to. Wow. And 90% of them never even responded, despite us following up multiple times. The 10% that responded, it was lackluster. You could never be sure if anyone even read it. No one cared. And it was like, I remember the, the funny, I've told the story too. Like I was, Anish and I were at my parents' house and my dad was like looking at us. and He was like, why are you guys, what are you guys working on? We're like, dad, we're writing the script. We're going to sell it for a bajillion dollars. I'll buy a Lambo or something. And he laughed and he was like, I'll buy it right now from you guys for $200. And for the reference, like my dad is a, at the time he was a contractor. Like he's not, you know, he's not, he's not a rich man but he was saying that almost as a joke. And we were like, we like, we like scoffed at him. We're like, dad, $200, get out of here, man. We're going to be so rich. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever happened with that script. Nobody wanted to rep us. And in fact I'm pretty sure we burned a lot of bridges by being so persistent to the point that we actually went back to my dad and we're like, Hey, do you want to buy that script still $200? It's yours. And he he said, no, (laughs) but the crazy thing is, you know, the way we ended up making searching was I was producing like a short film for free in Utah and one of the other producers on the short thought I was, I guess, pretty cool. And then she ended up getting a job at a company called Basilev's, which had produced and financed a movie called Unfriended, which was all on the computer screens as well. And they were looking to make another movie that would kind of be eight short films, all of which were computer movies in like, you know, eight short computer movies in a bigger movie as like an anthology. Yeah. They asked me to come in and have a meeting. And I think the meeting was based on. I guess me being a decent producer, they were familiar with the fact that i had made the Google Glass thing. I then brought in a niche and we thought of an idea for a movie called Search at Search at the time, which would have been only an eight minute version in which a father, I guess you, you would see somebody breaking into a laptop login and realize that it's not the person who owns a laptop. You would then realize it's actually her father. And the reason she's doing it is because she's missing. And that was it. That was kind of the idea of the short. The financiers then said, we don't want to we don't want to make this, which we were bummed because we, Anish and I thought it might be kind of fun to do a short film while we were coming up with this bigger idea. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, you know, we want you guys to write it, direct it, and produce it as a full movie. Like Anish would direct it, I would produce it, and we would actually get paid to write. It was not paid a lot, but it was something. And it was amazing. And I remember at the time, Anish very vehemently said no, like in the moment. I I genuinely like a sitcom I had to kick him underneath the table. And I said, He means no problem. He means, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We can do this, Um, and you know, Anisha's hesitation was clear. Like he did not want his first movie to be like a computer screen gimmick movie. And for me, I I did have the faith that we could figure it out and make it emotional. But for me, it was like this opportunity is huge, man. Like how often does anybody get a shot? And we got, you know, we got, you know, Anish came around. We came up with this great concept. We wrote a great script. Next thing you know, we're shooting this movie again. Eight hundred thousand dollars. We we shot ninety percent of searching. This is I swear to God a true story in a porn house in the valley no <laughs> what i mean by that is we found a location that had like multi it was like it was a house like a large house that somebody had dressed one of the rooms like a prison cell that just one of the rooms like a hospital room that oh, just one of the gosh. rooms like looking like a bar and i remember being there being like wow this is amazing like who else is shot here like they're like oh lots of stuff and we were like what and he was like oh you probably haven't seen them and we're like dude we watch a lot of indie films man we've probably seen everything and he was like trust me you haven't seen it like on the last day of production, it occurred to us we're shooting in a porno house. Like literally, people <laughs> have been having sex on every service we're shooting on. And we <laughs> glad we left. La- anyway, my point being that tiny, humble movie that we had somehow, through the crazy series of events of me having enough of a reputation as being this young, upcoming producer, the fact that our project together got a niche, something that was a job directing at Google, all of that led, the fact that I made a short with that woman who remembered me to have me come have this meeting, the fact that we had a good idea. All of that led to us making this tiny, tiny movie that honestly nothing could have come of. Like, obviously we we might look back at searching me like, of course that was going to be hit. Like, you don't know that even John Cho at the time, you know, we were lucky to have him. No, no question. But like none of that was guaranteed. That's when all the agents started coming back. Everyone who had ignored us, who had rejected us. We started having meetings. We were getting wined and dined by the same places. And even in some cases, the same people who, who wanted nothing to do with us before. And it just, it it was what really solidified for me, like you to, to get in this case of getting representation, like you don't get representation, like representation gets you Mm. and you can't force that. You got to just go do your own thing. They, you know, they all want to sign people who they see are winners. So just, you know, you got to try, try whatever you can. And it also really made me realize, like, why did we want an agent? Like we, like, it's a weird thing. Like we want to make movies, but you should think of getting an agent or a manager as a means to make movies, not the end. So all of, you know, I, I guess all, it's just all a long way to say, like, what you're saying is exactly right. Like, the underdog nature and 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 feeling like used to rejection, like, it hasn't stopped in so many other ways. But I think the more you get accustomed to it and accept that it's part of this industry, and frankly, probably probably part of so many industries and certainly part of life. I think uh, the healthier your relationship with it can be.
0: That's really great advice. And, um, you know uh, as you as an Armenian uh what hurdles have you faced um in this industry I mean as you mentioned it's historically you know censored us uh, especially any depictions of the Armenian genocide so I was wondering if that still kind of lingers uh in the industry I I know we're slowly drifting apart
1: from Turkey but yeah I'm just curious yeah man I mean I uh if I'm being really honest, my ethnicity as an Armenian American looking back was probably the most disadvantage when I was in film school. Mm. I'm almost like ashamed to talk about this, but I remember being really quite hurt that I felt like I was being ostracized a little bit by some of the people in my class. Mm. You know, I think people who, um, I, I look, there, there's an argument that our people sometimes say Armenians are white, you know, like, or we're Caucasian, we're from the Caucasus. like, right. we should feel like we're not, you know, we're not a people of color, for instance, we're not black, we're not brown. Um, I don't know, I think like, you know, we're Armenians, we, yeah. we, we are, I don't feel superior as an Armenian, like the idea of white people feeling, you know, white supremacy or whatever, I I don't feel that. Mm-hmm. I know my my brothers and sisters um, in our talk have been losing their lives. Um, as we speak, there's this horrific blockade that hasn't ceased. Um, I know that there's entire places out there where phobia is the rule of the law, rule of the land. Um, so long way of saying like, I remember like just genuinely feeling a little bit othered. And, and I think there was a part of that which kind of really drew me to, to like the people I really connected with in film school. I mean, like I said, it was an Armenian woman, an Indian guy. Uh, an African-American guy and Ryan, a bunch of other people in my film school. I, I, you know, I produced a a film with a black director, a black writer. Um, It just felt like I I was more at home with people who were also, you know, minority ethnicities. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's obviously Hollywood is still predominantly going to be what it is. Um, It's, it's been tough. Like, I think, you know, I've wanted to make movies about Armenian topics, but I think, for me this early part of my career it's been so crucial like okay i'll i'll say this i, I spend most of my childhood in, a, in an organization called Homed Amen ararat um it's or in my case Amen. it's 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 like a huge international organization that really is about scouting sporting um in my case i spent 10 years as a scout kind of like boy scouts of america but it was co-ed and there's a there's a saying that is a core of this organization which is bar here bar what it essentially means is lift yourself up so that therefore you can lift others and it's kind of been this thing I've been living my life with. And as it pertains to Armenians in the entertainment industry, you know, I, you know, I've, I've I, any chance I get to work with an Armenian on a film. Amazing. But but for me, it's really been about establishing myself, you know, proving myself to be invaluable in what I do. And when and when the time is right is when I want to tell those stories and that right. time might be soon, it might be later. Um, I have my mission I have my goals and I know what are the stories that are important to me in the way that you know I think anytime you see a filmmaker or make a story that's really personal to them I think it shines but um, yeah I think I think you know those early days at USC were kind of hurtful but since then it hasn't been that much of an issue
0: interesting yeah I mean you never know it's like I feel I think correct me if I'm wrong but Uh, Spielberg released Jurassic Park in the same year or just like within a year of Schindler's List so yeah I mean it's you know when you know you know so again like you're saying could happen sooner or later Um, and I remember hearing Spielberg saying for him that he just he didn't know if he can do it you know based on the prior movies that he was making and just the subject matter so i guess you, you know you definitely have to take that into
1: account too absolutely i yeah. think my approach will probably not be to tell a story about the genocide yeah at least at least not yet i think i think my goals are probably more aligned into wanting to normalize and celebrate what it means to be an armenian um I do think sadly the the precedence that's been established for movies about the genocide hasn't been great, at least for the u s. film market. Right. So my gut is telling me to, to to aim in a different direction, at least initially, um and then bring it back when the time is right.
0: I mean, is is writing or or producing your primary or original passion? and I mean, do you have aspirations to direct again or?
1: Yeah, I think my my primary passion when I was coming up was to direct because, I frankly, don't, I don't think I knew any better. Um, in my mind, I thought that, I, you know, I want to tell stories. I want to create stories. And once I was in film school, I, I guess one of the beautiful benefits was I realized that it wasn't directing for me. Um, I, I don't see myself honestly ever directing. I guess maybe if I ever have a TV show on the air that's run multiple seasons, maybe some version of that, like I do an episode or two. But honestly, I get so much fulfillment out of being a creative producer. There's a natural part of me that is very much an ADHD multitasking part, which I think you can really get as a producer. Um, I also love, love, love writing. Um, but I'm probably, you know, producer first and then a writer second. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, I love writing with Anish. I've also had a chance to write with Ryan Kugler. I've had a chance to write with another guy named Desi Gallegos, but Anish and I are, are the real primary partners. And, and, you know, I think we have a great thing going on. Um, you know, Producing for me is uh, I, I always think of like directing as imagine somebody who's got a one eye shut with tape and the other eye, they got a telescope attached to it. And they can't remove that telescope because their job demands that a director is detail oriented and they have to walk on a set and walk in prep and walk in post swinging that telescope around as they look at every detail, this costume, this line, this dialogue, you know, pronunciation, this actor's hair this location, this stunt, all these things they have they're forced to constantly be looking at these details and make questions left to right. The producer's job is to be right next to them and not have that telescope on their eyes, but rather be looking with both eyes wide at everything. Because sometimes I think a director by the virtue nature of their job is forced to make decisions about micro little things that might be interfering or contradicting decisions they made elsewhere. And it's our job to, to look for the vision of the story as a whole, holistically. Um, you know, I was I was raised, uh, or I was trained at USC, I should say, by these amazing film professors who really instilled in us the idea that, like, this idea of filmmaking is like this director's vision is potentially antiquated or, or more marketing than actual reality. That the idea is that it's kind of a collective vision. It's not just the producers and directors, but kind of everybody. Everyone should have ownership over this movie, from editors to production designers and DPs to anybody. So like I said earlier, like, I think our job is to support the direct vision, but also at times to challenge that vision as well. So for me, it's like, you know, I get so much creative fulfillment. Like when I make these movies, like I feel ownership, like, even if it's not like, oh, that particular line of dialogue I fought for, or like the take that we got as an alt that ended up in the final movie, that was something that I went toe to toe with the filmmaker for. It's not even just that, like I get that fulfillment out, out of producing and again, like luck, luckily for me, I'm able to produce so many things at the same time that directors are kind of, you know, they, they can really only work on one project at a time if it's if it fulfills me more. I also love writing, man. Like I'm so, so, so to me, like my approach to writing is very puzzle oriented. I often think about every movie being like, you know, like there is the right assembly of words that will create a work of art. Um, This idea that like, uh, you know, when you are, if you're creating a work of art by like chiseling a a piece of stone, you're not creating that art. You're finding it, you know, like it's already there. Like the beautiful face you are trying to chisel into the stone. Like you just have to get everything else out of the way. So you can see that, like that, that is my philosophical approach to storytelling. It's, you know, what's the story going to be? What are we trying to tell like thematically about the story why are we telling the story okay we're all good on those ideas okay what is the approach you know like we have we test this we test that we come up with that and use all the story examples that we've seen and and watch and play video games and and take all that and try and filter it into the structure of what is the not not only is like what is the best way to tell the story but kind of like what is the only way i I imagine i'm probably rambling right now but that is genuinely like the way i i look at storytelling um and you know it has worth because the movies that we've written have tend to be like mysteries and thrillers and kind of like in that world. This next movie that we're writing is a heist movie, um, so I think there's some similar DNA with like things that get set up and pe- uh, pay off and intricate. Instead of it being a sprawling mystery, it's kind of like a sprawling heist or con job. Like how does it all fit together? So yeah, I think I think that puzzle approach is what I love. The same satisfaction I get of like escaping an escape room is really the feeling that we get when we like land on the exact line of dialogue to finish the scene.
0: Wow. Will will there be any, uh, a gorilla, uh, heist and a zoo in this one? Or is oh it- man, I wish.
1: <laughs> the, the the truth is this next movie, which I can't wait to talk about in more detail. It's a heist movie, um, that in a lot of ways, Anish and I mined from that first movie that animal heist, I think, uh we we like we realized that we had this brilliant third act in that movie and we're like let's just take that wholesale and put in this movie and um and like little things like that i think is is there a way that after this other movie we're working on comes out can we still make the other movie i think so but yeah i think i think anish and i have we we clearly love heist we clearly love mysteries um but yeah no girl is in this one at least not yet (laughs) Um, and
0: then and Nicholas Johnson he, he's making his feature directorial debut with with Missing which I intended to see last weekend but it was my mom's birthday so we had you know to do no some worries. stuff that is the best um,
1: excuse to not see it <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no I, I, I I'm going this week for sure um, he edited Run and served as the uh, vir- d- director of uh, virtual photography. Mm-hmm um on searching so I guess two questions would be is the is the DVP similar to the DP Mm -hmm. and um you know was it a leap of faith going with Nicholas I guess a first-time director or is this something you like to 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 do is 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 give you know young talent um opportunities I guess Um, risks right I I don't know how much of a risk it was because obviously you know you know Nicholas and you know you can probably you know see much better than I guess the rest of us that you know he definitely could pull it off but so what's your philosophy on that you know and and young directors like propping up
1: talent yeah and and you know you know missing was actually written and directed by Nick Johnson and Will Merrick it was it was a it was a duo oh and, okay yeah. and both of them were the editors of searching and the directors of virtual photography so for anyone who hasn't seen searching it's a movie that takes place entirely on computer screens
0: yeah
1: but it's not like any of the other computer screen movies that you may have seen um usually those movies are kind of like one big wide shot and things just un- unfold in front of you almost like you're watching someone use their computer Um, and it's kind of being recorded and and played back for you. Our movie was more by design, more cinematic. Like we have edits, we punch in, we move the camera around. We have dolly zooms. We have, we're like have editing montages. It's very subjective at times. So that required a very distinct approach to the, to the filmmaking style. In a lot of ways, they're really like Pixar animated movies that we're Mm -hmm. making for a, a fraction of the cost. Um, Will Merrick and Nick Johnson were the editors of Searching. We, we found them both at USC again, um, you know, we work with them as, as students and they were so integral to what that movie became that we just realized that the editor credit was not enough. Like it didn't do justice to what they were doing because usually an editor shows up on day one of their job and they ingest footage that was already been shot and then they just assemble it in a certain order, literally creating what's called an editor's assembly. For Will and Nick, their first day of editing was seven weeks before we shot Searching. And because the reason was, I I remember I was obsessed with this idea of like trying to create a pre-visualization that their first day on the job was them taking screenshots of various websites and literally starting to animate them. They would perform as the characters themselves or Anish would perform as a character and they would put that on the screen and they would try and, you know, composite what this movie can look like. And we, by the time those seven weeks ended, we had a full cut of the movie with not a single actor, not a single day of photography. It was all just temp, all really low resolution graphics, them acting as all the characters. And we were able to look at that and actually do another pass of the story and realize what's not working, what is working. And we were able to screen that for the entire crew before we shot the movie. And they're like, oh, that's what we're doing. Now we understand what this movie is. Wow. And, and the reason I want to push for this is because of intentionality. I didn't want to go shoot searching. We shot in 13 days. I didn't want to go shoot all the video elements. And then in the edit realize, ah, oh, fudge. I wish John Cho was looking left or man. Like this whole scene has a backdrop of Facebook, which is very predominantly blue but she's wearing blue too. So like your, their colors are clashing, you know, like if we, if we kind of knew some of these things, we can lean into the idea of having complementary colors. And, you know, there's this thing called mise-en-scene or whatever, which is like how you have intentionality in your framing and like, those are all things that I figured would make the movie feel more elevated. And also it gave the actors a sense of like, wait, what am I looking at right now? Because oftentimes they're just staring at a camera, not an actual laptop. Mm -hmm. So will and Nick to do all those things, it's so much more than editing. We, we came up with this t- title called Director of Virtual Photography, because similar to how a, a cinematographer places the camera and moves the camera, these guys were doing the same thing with this virtual camera. The, every time we zoom in and push light, obviously a lot of it was a niche dictating and directing, but a whole lot of it was not. It was them presenting it to a niche, presenting it to us w- as something they had done themselves. So the story is Searching One comes out, you know, it made all this great money and all this great business. Six months later, I get a call from the people at Sony. They were asking me, we want to make Searching 2. And I thought it was a joke because we were like, Alex, we have been on the record multiple times saying we will never make a sequel. (laughs) And they're like, we want to make Searching 2. Can John Cho's other kid go missing or something? And we were like, guys, there's no way. Um, I hung up the phone. Like the Taken sequels. Exactly. (laughs) I hung up the phone and Ryan Coogler was right next to me because I was working with them on one of our other projects. And he was like, why are you laughing? And I told him, Sony wants to make a sequel to Searching. You're never going to do it. But to my surprise, Ryan was, what do you mean? Like, you guys should totally do it. And he was dead serious. He he was a fan of that first movie. I think he always said it was really cool that we kind of have our own franchise. It's not based on any comic books. It's not based on any books. It's kind of like our own thing. Um, And and he really was like, if anyone can do this, it's got to be you guys, so I called Natalie, I called Anish. I mean, Anish was never going to direct another movie on a computer screen, which is totally his right. Um, and we realized that the only people on the planet that could do justice to this were Nick and Will. And you're right. It was their first time writing a movie. It was their first time directing a movie. But it wasn't quite a leap of faith because I just had that confidence having seen them do it. And again, no one else could have done it. But we asked them to write a spec script, so like just another movie, just to know, do they at the very basic level know how to write? And we were hoping that it would be like, you know, decent to our shock. It was like phenomenal. We're like, Oh my God, you guys are incredible writers. And then we made a deal with the studio that Anish and I would write an outline. So Anish and I wrote a 29 page outline. That kind of was the treatment or, you know, like essentially all the major beats of what would become missing. We kind of knew early on and I won't spoil the movie, but we knew early on it couldn't be another John Cho movie. It has to be an original story set in the same world the idea was instead of a parent looking for a child, let's have a child look for a parent. Instead of, a, instead of the parent having access to the missing person's computer, let's have this time have the child, the main character, have access to like the bad guy's computer. And we just found all these ways to remix what that searching movie was. And then, you know, we spend many, many years making it. Um, but yeah, it was. I, I don't know if I necessarily looked to, to, to champion younger or newer filmmakers um, some of the best movies I've ever made were exactly those movies though. Oh man, Edward Scissorhands. The Italian Edward Scissorhands poster. That's... Oh yo, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I minored in Italian um in college. So the the story for the of that is I basically, you know, I started learning it in middle school. Um and then they offered classes in high school too in my in my district. And, and so I was like, you know, um I think ever since middle school, I wanted to go study abroad in Florence. And I I ended up still continuing my classes in uh, At Loyola Marymount. So in LA as well. But like it it was just eventually I had enough credits to minor in it because I had already been, you know, I didn't start at the beginner level in 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 college. And I mean, I was almost fluent by the time I studied, um, finishing studying abroad, but like, I don't know, I haven't spoken in like 10 or 11 years, (laughs) but yeah. Are you able to, if you, if you go to Italy now, do you think you can, um... I could probably pick it back up. Yeah, I think so. But it's weird because it's not like a a native language for me, so I don't know, I'd have to, I'd have to try it out. Yeah, I haven't been back since studying abroad, but I really want to. Um, Language is something that I'm fascinated in, you know, just whether it's learning a new language or like um, learning a new medium uh, of, of storytelling, a new way of communicating. And I think to that point, a niche, I consider him one of the pioneers of that that technology i guess right i mean you oh, said unfriended was before uh searching but i remember i think it was back when when searching came out and they offered or i got like a press release with for an interview with anish but one of my co-workers was already um doing it so um but they were saying that you know he like definitely has perfected the technology. And um, I don't know, I want, I'm want. i curious to hear a little bit about that as well as you were saying, you know, um, Nicholas and the other director, will, I'm sorry, yeah. his mm-hmm. name will. Yeah, it's, um, it seemed like it was basically like a virtual uh, or a visual storyboard, right, that they had created as well. It could also double as that. I mean, you see it lay out and um, it's certainly more helpful. I, I mean, I'm sure you had a storyboard as well, but it's kind of a new frontier. You're combining yeah. several several different like technologies and mediums.
1: We did not have a storyboard. Um, the idea was there was a movie called Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Have you ever seen it or heard of it? Is that the one with... uh la no. Angelina Jolie... I've I have heard of it, but yeah, I haven't seen it. So no. when I was much younger, I saw that film and I saw the special features. The whole movie is like actors in front of a green screen and all of it like this beautiful like you know like retro futuristic like um art design and the background. the director what I read what I heard or what I sorry what I saw in the special features was he shot the entire movie with like his friends and
0: mm-hmm. then
1: spent a year painstakingly finishing the animation in the background. Then he screened that movie for actors like Angelina Jolie or like you know Jude Law or even the producers or whatever, and they were like, "Yo, this shit's amazing." And then Angelina was like, "Okay, I'll be in your movie." So she had to just go shoot like five days just in front of the green screen, and the movie was already done. It could just plop her right there. And I remember I was really, like I said, I was really wanting to make sure that searching would be very intentional, that it would feel you no, know, even though we were shooting it for like ten bucks, that. Um, it could feel like a bigger, higher budget kind of thing. Um, and I think Anish was a little bit reluctant to do this because in his mind, he's like, I just want to go shoot the movie. And he, I think early on, he was like, well, maybe I could just do like 10 minutes. But I was like, man, we got to make the whole movie like this. And um, Will and Nick, the, the phenomenal editors that they were, they did. Anish was amazing. He was you know, he was performing as a 16-year-old missing girl, like beautifully, and this thing worked. And that's kind of the first thing we were like, man, like this might be an engaging cinematic experience. Um, And, uh, you know, it just, it was helpful that Anish had been working at Google because a lot of the Google commercials he was even directing were on screens. You know, it was like, oh, open up your Google search and you could scroll down and see this beautiful picture and go to this photo app. Um, It was really like the perfect team, the perfect people all in the right place at the right time. And, you know, a lot of credit also should go to Timur Bekmamatov and the people at Bazlevs because they did pioneer with Unfriended. And when we were starting searching, they were, they actually told us that here, here's like the rule book. Like it has to be real time, it has to be one shot, it has to be objective. And when we told them that's not what we wanted to make, we wanted to make something even crazier. I think, you know, for me, like I was like, man, there's been a hundred years of, of like cinematic techniques that have been perfected by these incredible filmmakers why would we not do any of that? It would feel like we're we're making a movie on a wide shot as if it was like, you know, 1910 or whatever. And you're watching like those first, first, you know, movies. Um, so Timur was amazing. Like he was like, please take this language that I've developed and you guys should evolve it. And, you know, I think with Missing, with Will and Nick directing, you know, one of our goals going into it was to really build upon searching. Like, I think we think about searching as Ridley Scott's alien, and we think about missing as James Cameron's aliens. Oh, you know, wow. it's generally the same storyline, right? It's like in, in both movies are about someone searching for a lost family member using technology, and it's all set on screen. So that's the same log line for both movies. Mm-hmm. But we wanted the second one to feel like like we're again another example is the first one, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, the second one Spider-Verse, like just bigger, crazier. Like by design, we wanted to go wall-to-wall, more action, more chaos. Um, And I think we achieved it. I'm I'm happy to say, I think we did. Wow, yeah. I I mean, it's been getting, like you said, it's been getting amazing reviews.
0: Uh, And so I'm super excited about that. And um, I've actually watched, I re-watched Space Space Jam. I guess it's a remake or a sequel a couple of (laughs) times. And it's 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 actually you know grown on me. I I, I definitely appreciate it now because I realize it's kind of I think what it was aiming for is like the the corporatization of of art is really how I saw it, and that's actually a great allegory. Um, and I mean, even though I didn't get. <laughs> confused, all. but i i i'm wondering if there was like like you said you had the, a story to tell about it i think um you know speaking of uh, i guess negotiating with with producers or studios early on in your career like what what was the experience like making making this movie I I don't know if it was one
1: of your first for for Space Jam. Yeah Yeah. I think it was was it your first like big budget movie? It it was that was my first like (laughs) out of this world budget I mean it was it was challenging it was really really challenging um and thanks for the generous (laughs) outlook on the movie Uh, I think what's funny is those movies take so long to make um it was not without its ups and downs I think one thing that we're proud of is I think people have been trying to make a sequel to Space Jam for 20 plus years I think just the fact that one got made it all was nice. Um, It is a movie that families tend to love. Like anyone that I know that's under the age of 13, that movie is like their favorite movie on the planet. Um, It was a challenging movie, man. I mean, we had a lot of moving pieces when it came to the studio, when it came to filmmakers. um, And, you know, I I would probably argue that critics are probably harder on the movie because it feels almost undeniably so, like an advertisement for, for HBO Max, like literally. Although yeah. when the movie was made, like the sad thing is that wasn't even Warner Brothers is like mandate. They were never saying make this movie. That was something that came from a filmmaker. But um, and I think when the movie was made, HBO Max did not exist. Um, but uh, look, I'm proud of it, man. I think that movie has a lot of heart. I think LeBron James is a great human being, man. Like I- I'm so yeah. humbled by like the work ethic he brought to that thing and how much passion he brought. And I saying mean, that. not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm saying that as not even a basketball fan. Like I, I, I wasn't even that familiar, but, um, but yeah, I think that the takeaways there are, man, like you, you gotta, those battles become infinitely harder to fight as the budgets go up. I mean, it's no, it's no secret, right? Like more money, more problems. Um, But the funny thing is like the, but the battles are still very much the same.
0: Speaking of LeBron, I know uh, Peter Nix, uh, he runs the, your, your um, nonfiction department for lack of right i don't know what
1: its official title is but at the head of nonfiction approximately exactly okay
0: yeah yeah and so he directed the steph curry talk i'm so excited to see that because obviously you know born and raised in the bay area uh so you you've had a chance to really i guess i don't know if you met steph but like work on both subjects and 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 kind of get to know more about more of these athletes so so purely speaking from an athletic perspective i was wondering like what your take is on the everlasting debate okay okay where does jordan land where does lebron land where does steph curry land because a lot of people say that you know he's the best shooter of all time but not the best player and Mm. I, i really think there's an argument that could be made that he might be the best player of all time but I guess that depends on you know the future and
1: there's still time yeah I don't know what's what's your take who's your top like three I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm genuinely not somebody who dabbles in sports I've, I've spent the most time with LeBron so I'll say he's my favorite but um Steph seems to be an amazing person I remember for me like It's so sad to say this, but it was when Kobe died, you know, the unfortunate passing of Kobe, that was the very, and and of course, all the people that sadly perished with him, like that was the first time it really dawned on me why sports and athletes in particular are phenomenal people, because, you know, take for for example, and I'm not doing, I'm not saying any of this to take away from anybody, but like, when you think about what an actor does, it's incredibly grueling work. But on some level, somebody could argue they're reading lines that someone else wrote. You know, they're wearing clothes that someone put on them. They, you know, they're they're being lit a certain way. They're being VFX a certain way or like hair, makeup, whatever. They're being directed or being told or even a singer, like they may not write their own songs or there's, you know, the band or like, you know, voice synthesizing, whatever. Like it feels like sports. And again, coming from somebody who does not consider themselves a sports fan, like sports is the only human endeavor in which the person is literally on their own obviously they're team sports of course but like when you see Steph on the you know basketball court no one is telling him like where to throw that ball no one is VFXing to like make, make him have this incredible jump shot like no one is you know that's him that's literally him as a single human being achieving all that stuff in front of your eyes multiple times a night and I think that has given me so much admiration for the art of, of athleticism. And again, sadly, it took, you know, Kobe's way too early passing to like, make me realize that. And, and it really gave me um, even more of a respect for people like LeBron and, and Steph, who, you know, I've been lucky to work with on some levels. Um, I've only met Steph very briefly. I, I, I do not work closely with him at all on the Steph Curry doc, but I know Peter killed it. That doc is amazing. And whether you're a sports fan or someone who has a faint idea of who Steph Curry is, it, it is a documentary that will get you so in an amazing mood because it's, you know, it's, it's called underrated. It's about how this guy who genuinely, he was not destined to be great, how he overcame everything he did to become exactly who he is. God, I can't wait. <laughs> um, what, so when, when can, uh, when is it going to be officially released? Um, I don't know if we've actually announced that yet, but it's going to be not too long from now
0: Got and it. and, it'll,
1: and it'll be an Apple release, which is really cool. Um, Oh, sweet. Yeah.
0: I wanted to, to just, You know, say how much I enjoyed Black Panther too. I I found it kind of like how the the white kind of Western hegemony uh, forces like two minority nations or groups against each other. Um, And I don't really think um, Namor is the villain uh, in Wakanda Forever. And you know, uh, I guess nations being pitted against each other for you know a
1: sinister power's purpose. I watched that movie. Not wanting the Wakandans to destroy (laughs) the Talokan, I was like, "No, don't fight." You know, like, "No, stop, Shuri, don't, don't, don't rip off Namor's, you know, wings or whatever." Like, and I think that that, while it's not making for the most quote unquote satisfying traditional watch of a four quadrant blockbuster movie, I think that unsettling feeling is probably interesting because I think that's what makes me want to remember that film. It's an ambitious movie, man. Like, I don't know how they did that. Like, I genuinely, speaking about, like, obstacles and, like, they lost this incredible actor, incredible human being. It feels like from everything I've heard, I've never had the privilege of meeting Chadwick, but it sounds like he was more than the glue that kept everyone together. So the fact that they made any movie at all, let alone this amazing film that they made, I... I don't know, like it's staggering to me. Um, and I and I agree with you a hundred percent. Like that third act is is rough, man. You just don't want anyone to be fighting. You want them to just come together, and obviously they do at the end, but there's still something potentially uneasy about that, and it makes you want to lean in and, and it makes you, I don't know, it keeps you up at night. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm so proud of my friend Ryan for how he and the whole team made that movie to honor Chadwick and 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 still satisfy and entertain fans. I loved Fruitvale Station. So I I've, I've I've you know
0: been following your career for quite some time. Um you know as 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 someone who lives in the Bay Area Fruitvale Station we all know that story. It was a really great central performance, I think. Uh, and now you're coming full circle with with Creed uh yes with Michael Creed. directing. Exactly. Exactly with Michael <laughs> directing. So I think um you know, it's, it's great that, you know, you're, 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 you're doing that. And I know, uh, I called you on the set, but, um, you made me even more excited for the
1: film. So I cannot oh, wait. I can't to out. My, Michael, I, this is so cheesy, but he like knocked this one out the park. Like it's, it's so not what you're expecting, but yet satisfying all the same. Um, I'm so proud of this movie. I'm so proud of my work on the movie. I'm proud of everyone's work in the movie. But Michael B. Jordan, man, who would have thought? He's in a phenomenal director. Like I can't wait to see what he directs next. Forget what he's starring in next. You know? Wow.
0: <laughs> Seb, thank you so much. I I, I so appreciate your time um, and and generosity. You know, no, man, Thank questions. you. Man. Thanks for having I me. How, I know how busy your schedule is. Um, so forever you know rooting for you
1: a fellow armenian artist and um and i'm glad we finally got a chance to zoom and i can't wait to do it in person and i can't like wait what? to talk more about this particular movie that i'm working on with you when the time is right
0: and that's a wrap with sevohanian on shattering superstructure it was a long one and there was a lot of ground covered but i hope you found it worthwhile and enjoyed our conversation And on that note, this is Alex signing off. See you next time. Thanks, listeners.